and welcome to the TCT podcast. I'm Laura Griffith, Deputy Editor at TCT Magazine. And all this week I've been fixing my desk as news from the International Manufacturing Technology Show, or IMCS, in Chicago has taken over the additive manufacturing world. Today I'm joined by my colleague and our TCT Head of Content, Dan O'Connor, who is in the Windy City as we speak and in between enjoying Chicago culinary delights and also retro video games, not envious at all, has been getting the latest additive manufacturing news straight from the IMTS show floor. So hi, Dan. Hi, Laura. You okay? Yes, I'm good. How are you? How is Chicago? Chicago's great. Chicago's always great. IMTS is so big. Um, when we got the hotel shuttle bus on the first day, they said, we'll drop you off in the South Hall. And you know you just presume it's going to be fine. Um, mm. It's not going to be that far. It's going to be a little walk through an ex- exhibition hall. Well, it was a probably a 20-minute walk to badge pickup. When I got to badge pickup, they said, press on to pick up badges here. I had to go back to the South Hall to pick my badge up. So I had to walk all the way back, get, go and get my badge. They couldn't find my badge because the system didn't recognize the apostrophe in my name. So mm. all of this fancy technology that we've got that, that can make uh, medical implants parts of aerospace, we're still not uh, dealing with apostrophes in people's names in lines of code. Um, <laughs> but once, once we got into the show floor, um, you can really see the growth of additive. Mm-hmm. I was here two years ago. Uh, they've moved they've moved additive, so it's yeah. grown into a, the West Hall now. And it's a hall that's completely dedicated to additive. Um, it, it's, it's a huge show when you walk into it. But one thing I will say is that when you walk into the additive thing and then you walk around, if you go into that South Hall uh, and have a look at some of the booths from the likes of DMG, Mori and Mazak, this, it, it really gives you perspective that still what a drop in the ocean additive is in comparison to the rest of the machining world. The, the money that gets done here and the, the size of the booths alone is just, it's mind-blowing. Is there still that sense that additive is like this own little entity, though, there? Because I know that, obviously, with these individual pavilions, of course, you're going because you want to specifically look at additive manufacturing, but does it feel like it's kind of blending into this wider manufacturing industry? In my opinion, to be honest, because it's been moved away from uh, the traditional manufacturing technologies into its own hall, it feels like just a co-located additive manufacturing show. Right, okay. um, there's not a great deal of... Um, you know, like Mazak, for instance, they've got this huge booth in the in the South Hall that they have every year, and they've also got the hybrid additive technologies on the show floor mm-hmm. in the additive thing. So it kind of feels like two shows, well, more than two shows, probably. There are other bits. Um, and just because the West Hall is a little bit further out of the way or everything else, it does feel like it's a totally separate show. There isn't as much of... Um, additive and subtractive combining, as you would imagine. There's the hybrid technologies on the floor from the likes of DNG and from the likes of uh, Mazak. But you see those hybrid technologies at most shows. You'll see them at TCC show. You'll see them at Rapid. Mm-hmm. You'll see them at AMOC. They're not... Um, it's not that, oh, we're at INCS, so here's hybrid technologies. It seems to me that uh, additive is standing on its own two feet at the moment, and that could be seen as a good thing, because there are plenty of people on the show floor going to see additive. That, I suppose, as you said, that could be a good thing, but it could also be seen as kind of slightly negative as well, because if additive is still kind of seen as its own separate entity, you know, is there that sense that it is being accepted then into the more general manufacturing sphere? 
I think all of the conversations that I've had with the likes of strategists and Scotch Electric and Strathers and Chris Schubert GE, mm. they, they all accept that the conversations have changed. Uh, whether they changed that much over the last two years, I'm not entirely sure. The CEOs of this world are starting to ask the engineers to adopt additive. Um, one thing that I was surprised at is that that was mentioned in a press conference yesterday at HP who I'm sure will come on to shortly. Uh, but it was Volkswagen saying that it needs to be a top-down approach. And a lot of the time we've always thought of this, the designers, you know, going off and doing their own thing with additive and then there being resistance at board level. But it appears to be that all the way around. It appears to have flipped on its head where the board level can see the opportunities that additive brings in terms of time saving and therefore costs. Mm-hmm. And they're trying to implement it to their designers and their engineers. And I think... If that is the case, then I think that the acceleration will be greater over the next two years. Cool, well, that's good news then. And as you just mentioned, um, HP there, we'll get on to some of the, the launches because, as you said, additive is kind of just a drop in the ocean um, compared to this wider industry. But there's been quite a few um, launches this week and, and you know, new applications spoken about. So the first one we'll go with is HP. They've been talking about this for quite some time, but finally announced the launch of the Metal 3D printing technology. It's called MetalJet, and starting with their production service, um, which is going to be, which actually starts up now, but it's going to be rolled out more next year. And so, what have you seen of, of HP this week? MetalJet is very prominent on their booth. Um, it's this big machine, and obviously, I think it's still in testing. And I don't think the machine's running live, but some yeah. of the parts are really impressive. And mm-hmm. what they're trying to show is that. This is a series production technology. The, the parts that are showing are all stacked. They're showing parts that are like um, fully customized. And what HP has done, I think, is quite clever, is work with partners straight away. Yeah. Um, so likes of Volkswagen, the likes of Parmatech, the likes of GKM. We, we touched on this in a previous podcast when we talked about Hans Langer and BMW. What they seem to be doing, HP, which I think is probably a clever tactic, is speaking to the people like Volkswagen like GKM and saying what is it that you want mm-hmm. from a metal machine and then they're going to try and deliver that. Yeah. Um, the part, the parts look impressive. It is um, a binder technology with a secondary sintering process. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Dave Brackett wrote a really good article about about that, those yeah. kind of technologies on TCT magazine and in the last issue uh, mm-hmm. about how there's been a bit of a rise of that now and I think that the, the rise of that Maybe it's because um, powder bed fusion technologies have reached a point where, you know, it's difficult for them to get any better, and it's certainly difficult for them to get any cheaper. Um, We can add lasers, uh, and I don't think they'll go away, and that's not what I'm suggesting. I think that powder bed fusion will be the gold standard Mm -hmm. for um, light parts, like small parts for aerospace um, and for automotive. But I think if you're talking series production, I think with the these binder jetting processes, that the ability to stack parts really changes the game. So if you can take advantage of uh, a whole cubic bed uh, as opposed to just what's on the build place, I think that's a big advantage, and that's how they're trying to push things, production of these parts. Uh, it, it was interesting during the, during the press conference yesterday where they had some of the partners on stage that VW were talking about it as if, this is, a te- this is it now. This is the technology they're going to use. Now, yeah. I'm not fully aware, you may be lower, you may be better versed than me than this, but 
I would have thought that VW have some metal 3D printing technology mm-hmm. in the first place. And mm-hmm. what nobody seemed to be able to get to the bottom of was what is it about the HP process that is having seeing them completely back it. Well, I, I think see, I I was listening on a, a briefing that HP did last week just before the launch and. One of the main things they were talking about was this, as you just touched on them, was the difference in materials. So they're not necessarily going after those high-value markets like aerospace straight away, which obviously need um, these materials like titanium, which, again, are very, you know, very high-cost materials. They're going after materials that are used much more in kind of mass production, so for things like these um, these custom parts for, I think it was key fobs or something they've got on the stand there. So I think it's just that they're going after, they're, they're trying to go after um, a, a completely different um, side of the market, which is, I, I guess, a good thing because, you know, otherwise it's just going to be an, another metal 3D printer. So I guess we'll, we'll be able to tell more in the coming weeks when we hear more from these um, from these customers, especially now that um, they're inviting other people to start using the service to and upload their parts and order them and test them out. So I think we'll start hearing a bit more feedback from people and see where this technology actually fits in. You touched on the materials there. Is that... Uh, Parmatech, the president of Parmatech, who was on stage yesterday, yeah. he talked about how um, when they first adopted metal injection molding powders, which is the powders that this um, HP metal jet technology uses, uh, when they first adopted them, there was a they needed to change the way they thought about design. Yeah. Uh, and it was interesting for him to say, we've already done that, and now this is just another step where we need to change the way we think about design again. Mm-hmm. And although I was... Um, I think I wrote a piece yesterday lamenting that we need to change the way we think about design both phrase that people use. He was saying that this we have done it before and we will do it again. So that was a bit more of an interesting point of view on that. Yeah. I'm going to touch on that post that you wrote yesterday because it's very, very good. Um, I'll talk about that a little bit later on um, in the podcast. But um, for now, let's just kind of run through the other uh, technologies that were also launched this week. So um, we had 3D systems and also MGF Machining launch um, a metal additive manufacturing product. Uh, can you tell us a bit about what you've seen from that? Well, GF Machining and 3D systems is obviously a great um, matchup at IMTS. We talked about the additive manufacturing pavilion stands a little bit alone, but that is something that is hugely apt for um, IMTS. You know, GF Machining is a huge company mm-hmm. that are complete experts in subtractive and 3D systems, likewise with additive. It feels like it's a bit more of a long-term thinking partnership. I know that there is a machine that they've launched, yeah. but uh, during his during the press conference the other day, VJ, CEO of 3D Systems, was talking about how this is the future, and it actually plays into uh, your hashtag 3D talk at presentation at CCT show later this month, in that this is how they see the factory of the future. There is no one-fits-all solution. Um, you do need subtractive capabilities, and you need additive capabilities, mm-hmm. and it's quite an interesting link-up. I mean, we've seen GF link-up with ERS before. Um, so they've obviously been dipping their toes in the water for a while, but this is the first big major step into that. I, I 
I've been interested um, to see what food systems are going to do with this DMP factory 500 for quite some time because I think it was November last year when I went to visit them and they kind of they kind of laid out their roadmap for this year and all the different things they were going to release and one of them was this this metal additive manufacturing system and uh, the idea was for it to be sort of this uh, modular factory floor similar to a lot of ones you saw at Fall Next um, a couple of years ago where you've got these pre-processing steps and um, with all the software linked up so that everything is controlled all the way through. And then you added the manufacturing part and then the post-processing step. So it's great to see how this has come along and how they've partnered with someone like GF Machining who have, of course, got all that experience in the subtractive market and, and really take that a step forward. So as you said, I think this is the start of a, of a bit of a long partnership, but it'll be interesting to see uh, where they take this. Well, Vijay talked about uh, during his press conference. He talked about his press conference from IMTS two years ago and mm-hmm. the, that roadmap that you mentioned that he laid out and he wanted to just update us on it. He wasn't shying away from the fact of some of the things that he said there. Yeah. Uh, but they they really are focused 3D systems. They are really a lot more focused now. I think um, if you take a look at what they've done with Figure 4 technology, where they have the modular systems, they have the standalone, they have the specific dental one, um, they, they kind of have scaled back in terms of launching these machines all the time that, um, you know, they became synonymous with around the time of the hype bubble. Yeah. They've scaled back, they've looked at um, what VJ calls operational excellence, and they've just seen what they're good at doing, and they're trying to apply that. He's quite honest and open during the talks like that, VJ, in the fact that, you know, they know that they have some problems that they have to deal with, and he feels like they're finally doing that and moving forward now. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the partnership with Align um, that they've also announced during that press conference yesterday, they played this marketing video, and I did, it, it must admit, take on Richard, one of the things that Alliance said in that marketing video, that this was the first true case of master customization. Mm. Uh, I think you and I, Laura, both know that uh, that does a slight disservice to 99% of the hearing aids that are out there in the world. Um, yeah. But, nevertheless, Alliance, this, Alliance, the biggest company in the world, doing what they do, mm. um, and the fact that they're now, they've always used additive manufacturing, but the fact that they're now seeing a process where they can actually manufacture the aligners as opposed to um, Just having a secondary step additive being part of the process. Yeah. It, it is quite exciting that for the industry. And um, another company that I want to talk a little bit about today, and it's back onto the metal side, there's an awful lot of metals news at um, INTS this week. Uh, well, first of all, you've seen some parts and strategies, metal technology now. I know they didn't have a, um, a system on the booth, and they've, they've kind of been um, teasing this technology since like sort of rapid time, but what have you seen um, from that technology this week? Has it been much of an update? So, uh, I sat down with Scott Sedgwick yesterday, and... Their strategists are a little bit coy about that metal technology. So they don't want to push it too much yet. Uh, it's still very much in the development stages. They want to talk a lot more about the Stratasys 4-300MC. Sorry, the Stratasys 4-380MC, uh, which is the carbon fibre uh, 3D printer that they launched. they've launched the show that you will be able to see at TCT show. Uh, but what I will say about the metal parts is they're only small, but they're very highly detailed. Yeah. It's certainly a powder process. Um, they're calling it Stratasys LMP. Um, they have a lot of experience from Stratasys direct manufacturing in manufacturing with metals. Um, I think they're a finalist in the TTT award for a metal 
um, material in mm-hmm. the non-polymers yeah. uh, category this year. Um, so although we all see Stratus as this um, polymer-only company, they do know what they're doing with metals. They have a lot of experience with people who've been in the metal technologies. And I think it will be exciting when they do come to market with it. Uh, they're still, obviously, still in very early development, um, and they'll make sure that everything's right. I doubt that Stratus will release the product to market unless it's 100% ready. Mm-hmm. Um, but what, I mean, what I actually am interested in from Stratus' point of view is this, and we touched on this in the last podcast, is this um, partnership with Team Penske yeah. in that they are launching a printer specifically for an application. That appears to me. I picked up one of the parts and I, I could not believe how heavy it was. Um, it's this, um, I think it's a fuel pump system that's in the car. They've got the car open on the show floor that people can go and sit in and experience. Uh, but there was one of these parts I picked up and it's one of the carbon fiber fill parts. And it's a seriously impressive piece of kit. It would not look out of place on the rest of the show floor in all of the metal. Um, sheet working technologies, uh, I'm led to believe that the performance is even better than metals of that particular part. So I think it's quite exciting to see Stratus focus on that technology. Um, I asked Scott Stebchik whether they'd learned any lessons from the composite, is it the composite robot build demonstrator that they launched here two years ago? Yeah. And he said, yes, certainly. So in terms of the materials, that's one of the areas that they were specifically looked at, the feedback that they've got from a lot of the customers who are using it is that they need these composite materials in a force of system so that they can just print directly and they don't have to set anything up and think too much about uh, parameters or building the new areas with a robotic arm. They just want one of these machines to print those parts and the parts are impressive, I must say. Well, that's the thing. It's a standard Stratasys machine with these added capabilities, and also it's coming at kind of an affordable price point as well, so that these, you know, smaller companies are going to be able to to really take advantage of that. So I can see why they're they're kind of pushing that one at the minute, and it'll be good to see it on the show floor at TCT as well. Dan, anyone else that we should um, be be chatting about from IMTS? You know, you've had a good walk around the show floor now. This is your third day there. Has anyone else really caught your eye this week? I think that one thing that really caught the eye straight away, I think it's because it's front and centre on the main entrance, is the EOS's M304 multi-laser system that they launched. And funny enough, I um, actually missed them pulling the curtain down because Stratus has had me walk miles into a different room for the press conference. So by the time I got back, they'd already pulled the uh, curtain down and revealed the machine. But it's an impressive looking facility. And uh, I was actually at a networking event on the first night with Context. And what I was surprised at there was, according to Context's figures, was just how much of a market share EOS do have over the metals. I mm. think Context has suggested that they've got 20% of the market in metals. And the thing with EOS is that they're this company who, I think that they they don't talk as much, they just do. Yeah. Um, these technologies, and I think... You know, if you go to any service bureau in the UK, you'll tend to find, and they're offering an SLS system, you'll tend to find that they're offering an EOS SLS system. They are not tend to be offering other SLS systems. Uh, it's always EOS, and I think that EOS has got this reputation within the industry for being reliable um, yeah. and, and the machines work. So this machine, it's a huge machine. 
Um, I think that the M304, I think the four stands for the fact that you can have four lasers in it, which mm-hmm. obviously speeds up the process. Um, but EOS are very concentrated on making sure that their machines are, stay at the top of their game. Mm-hmm. You know, we have a lot of these new players like HP and like Desktop Metal coming along and looking for a slice of that market. But EOS wants to make sure that uh, their R&D proves that they are still the number one metals machine. Yeah, and as you just said, that they're not really a company that sort of blows their own trumpet all the time. That they're not they're not as loud as some other companies. But and it, that's a shame because uh, you know a machine like this could go very much under the radar when you've got like these big companies like HP launching technologies at the same time. But um, one thing that I noticed um, about this news release was just that um, they've mentioned it's also going to be compatible with the EOS shared modules concept, which I sort of mentioned it before, which we sort of form next is this idea of. Um, automated and integrated production as part of this um, kind of factory of the future style um, setup of kind of unpacking, transportation and these seven phases in the manufacturing workflow and that, that's really um, a, a future looking concept and I, I really appreciate when companies like that are, are thinking about that now and kind of embedding that capability into the machines they're launching today and thinking about how that's actually going to work in, in a factory in maybe five, ten years time. We mentioned earlier about the piece that I wrote yesterday. Yeah. Um, no, EOS was the first technology that Greg Morris brought over to to the States, which then led to the Leap Fuel nozzle, obviously. Mm-hmm. And w- one of the things that I've mentioned in that piece is that I get frustrated. I get really frustrated when I sit at the press conference and I hear things like, we need to change the way we think about design. Because I think, well, haven't we changed it yet? Is it what, what's taking so long? Mm-hmm. And I think that from the inside, as we both are in this industry, it does come across that it moves slowly and we're not getting a lot of change. You and I have talked plenty of times, Laura, about how um, the conference lineup for the first PCT conference in 1996, a lot of those things will fit in today's conferencing program. But when you look at the fact that Greg Morris bought a machine in 2004, um, and by 2012, GE were already series producing a flight safety, critical safety part on a metal 3D printer. That's mm-hmm. not a long time. And mm-hmm. Chris Shoup, who's uh, general manager at GE Additive's AdWorks team, he said to me that, you know, four years ago, there were a handful of parts, maybe four or five parts on an aeroplane in an engine that they were looking at. Now there's over 100. And that's within the last four years. And GE Additive, actually, their booth, they haven't launched anything new. They seem to be just concentrating on the things they have launched. Um, and it was interesting to get a good opinion on the fact that they, you know, what, what GE see themselves as, that they see themselves as super users that they can therefore make greater machines. Yeah. Um, I know that some people would suggest that, you know, it wouldn't be to their benefit if they made a super machine to Rolls-Royce, to give to Rolls-Royce. But... I think they're comfortable in the fact that because they had this entrepreneurial spirit in 2012 to launch that Leap Fuel nozzle, they are way ahead of competition in terms of the things that they've been changing for additive manufacturing. And I, I think they're a, um, obviously, EAE, the biggest company in the world at one stage, they, they are an interesting company, but there is a little bit of a, an entrepreneurial spirit there, which I really like, in that they're just going to go and get these parts made. They're not going to 
um, sit around twiddling their thumbs, waiting for standards, waiting for everybody else to write descriptions about how you do this and how you do that. They're going to go and test and test and test and test and test, fail multiple times, but eventually come up with a path that is like revolutionary. Leap fuel nozzle, we all talk about it till we're blue in the face. Yeah. It is a impressive path, and it's not the only path. As, as I just said, they've got hundreds in the pipeline. So yeah. I think this next few years could be really exciting in terms of what we start seeing out of GE additive and GV aviation more to the point, using mm-hmm. the additive technologies. And it was very much a conversation with GE additive that inspired this little um, epiphany of yours to move you out of your cynical ways towards additive manufacturing. Um, what kind of parts were they showing you that they've got now on the booth? Right? I've, I've seen a couple of the, the metal, um, I think it's like some, was it some engine parts that you had um, over on Twitter today? Yeah, there's there's one particular part which I do touch on in that piece, which is a uh, screen inlet for a catalyst for the GE catalyst engine, mm-hmm. uh, and it just looks like this pretty standard part. But what the clever bit is is that they've got these, um, it's all got these complex channels, um, and one of the problems with an jet engine, and this sounds like I knew this beforehand, I knew it from yesterday, uh, mm-hmm. is that it's very good at um, thrusting obviously things out the back. But it's also very good at sucking things in sucking things like dust um, and one of the problems is often uh, when water turns into ice you don't want ice on your engine and what this screen inlet does is um, it, it acts as a de-icer at the at point at the start of the process and it's only capable through additive because what they've done is it's a metal part it just looks like a block but if you look there's a lot of tiny little holes which they directly compare into from the engine and it's you know it's making the engine more safe, if anything. They're already pretty safe, these engines, and there's a lot of fail-safe for that. But this is another aspect that hasn't added any weight to the engine because they've taken away, because it's the same weight as the old screen and left, but it's just got this extra feature in it now that allows the um, it to be de-icing at points. And they, had, or they also had um, a huge gear that they printed using their Atlas project printer that they did launch at next last year. They, as I say, they are doing some very, very interesting things, and I'm sure that within the next couple of years, we're going to start seeing the fruits of some of that labour. Mm-hmm. And when you and I spoke earlier today, I asked you one of those really annoying questions that you always get asked at a trade show, which is, what's some of the most impressive things you've seen so far? And you actually said there was some stuff from Optimet that you were quite surprised by at this year's show. Yeah, Optimet uh, are this company who, with their lens to hybrid technology, who have these really niche applications and uh, we always see a lot of satellite filters, um, a, a lot of our RF filters for satellites and things like that and I like these tiny parts and they don't have that like kind of human impact and obviously always with um, 3D printing, healthcare becomes the thing that hits at home most for me and they actually had uh, during their press conference yesterday a guy called Michael Seeley. Um, who is a associate professor at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. And uh, he was a great talk speaker for starters, which always helps. Um, but he was talking about how since, since the dawn of implants for when people break a bone, so if you've got, you've broken your arm and you get a titanium implants, you to get a titanium screw. This is, they stay in your body forever. Unless you go and have a secondary operation, they take it out. Um, and what his, him and his research crew are looking to do is um, do magnesium implants which are biodegradable. Mm-hmm. And he was 
saying that like nobody does this in any other way. The only way that you can previously make magnesium parts is by casting. Um, but this is a way of additively manufacturing magnesium, which is notoriously difficult to additively manufacture because, you know, your my knowledge of magnesium previously is those little strips that you set fire to in chemistry in school, and they go up. And I think magnesium is particularly flammable in that case. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's obviously a difficult thing to additively manufacture. To use an optimic system, they were able to make these parts and process, process these implants. And one of the really great things he was saying is that um, just by tailoring the manufacturing process, just by tweaking the settings, they can change how biodegradable it is. So what he was saying is if you are a 10-year-old and you break your arm, your uh, bone regeneration is a lot quicker than someone who's 85. So for the 10-year-old, they put this magnesium implant in, um, they fit it together, and then it'll biodegrade over a short period of time. For an 85-year-old, that, they don't want that to biodegrade over a short period of time. That needs to stay there for a longer time. And I just thought that was like a really... It's something that I'd never thought about before. I'd never thought. Michael obviously mentioned that he himself has got titanium implants and he sets uh, airport metal detectors off when he walks through them. Uh, so it's it really great to see a passion project from him uh, coming into fruition using this technology that I think we all consider is pretty niche from a company who aren't GE additives. They're not um, HP. They're a, sm- they're a lot smaller operation up to now. But nevertheless, they're really doing things that are revolutionary in this industry. Mm-hmm. And I think that's always nice, you know, as, as you kind of mentioned before, you can you feel like a lot of stuff in this industry, you feel like, oh, I've heard that 10 times before, or, you know, you're not necessarily still impressed by the same things, but it's always great when you come across an application that you've never considered before and that it's actually making a difference um, in, in, in people as well, especially with the healthcare stuff. It's, it's all really, really interesting. Um, I'm going to pretty much wrap it up in a minute because I think you've only got one day left to explore the show floor and I'm sure you want to get out and see um, as many people as you can before you head home. Yeah, I think today, uh, on today's agenda, is I haven't had a chance to get over to see Zello 3D yet. Um, Zello 3D uh, and Digital Alloys have both launched metal additive manufacturing technology here at IMCS. Uh, Zello 3D happens to be in a totally different building. Uh, they're not in the additive space, which is... I don't know whether that's just the fact that they booked it late or something like that. But uh, So I'm going to go and hunt those guys down because from what I hear from the people in this industry, it's an impressive technology. Um, I was talking to um, Stefan Ritz, who was formerly at SLM Solutions, um, yesterday, and he was telling me that this is a really impressive technology. So when people like that say you, you need to go and take um, full advantage of it, I actually visited LO3D in um, January this year. Uh, but they were very, very, very um, quiet on what they could say. They wouldn't tell us anything. Uh, we barely got anything out of them. They took us into the building. They wouldn't even tell us it was a metal additive manufacturing technology, but fortunately there was a big argon gas tank outside, so that kind of gave the game away. Um, but, yeah, so I'm really interested in going to see those guys. I'm really interested in going to see digital alloys as well. Um, I think their print process is called dual printing, and that's dual as in the unit uh, power. Mm-hmm. They're, they're obviously they've come out of MIT they've had a lot of uh, funding so I'm going to go and see what they, they've got to offer hopefully there's some parts on the stand and we can get a bit more knowledge about what they're doing Okay cool we'll look forward to hearing more about what you get from those guys and um, have a have a safe journey home Dan 
I will do, Laura. And when we get when I get back in the office on Monday, it's only a week till TTT. So <laughs> straight back out of the office.